You're listening to Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel, Las Vegas. This is where real faith meets real pain. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music to get instant notifications when new episodes are available to stream. You can also visit our website, praisechapellasvegas.com, to find out more info about PCLB and visit our event tab to see what's going on this month. Lastly, like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram at PC Las Vegas. Thank you again and enjoy the message. Nation, they can really do something. Number one in prayer, that's the biggest thing you can do as a church. You say, like, well, I don't, I don't know if I can go, but you can pray. You can pray. So uh, morethanmeets.co, that's the website. I can give it to you again later if you need it. But you can go sign up, $5 a month. You'll get a newsletter, and you'll be helping people, uh, number one, spread the gospel. So I had to share that. Um, also, I have a podcast where I sat down with refugees, I sat down with pastors, church planters, missionaries, musicians, uh, uh, new Christians, old Christians, uh, talk to people about the idea of multiplication, the idea of win, build, send. So it's basically win, build, send podcast. If you look it up on iTunes, win, build, send podcast. And basically I'm talking to people and, and talking about the idea of how we do that. What does that look like? Why is it different? Why should it be? It's a good thing to be different. It shouldn't all look the same. So uh, you can check that out. It's all free. That's that's free. The, the more than meets is $5 a month. Um, and, and those are my two commercials. All right. So I want to get into the word. Let's pray before we go further. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can be here tonight. We are grateful, Lord, that we can come together and we can worship, that we can read your word, that we can publicly declare your love for us, that Jesus is Lord, we can say it in season. And Lord, we pray for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who cannot do this, who cannot meet in public with us. Lord, we pray for them right now. Holy Spirit, invade their homes, invade their meetings, be with them, encourage them, bring them peace and joy. Holy Spirit, we invite you here tonight that as we read your word, you would bring us understanding. We ask for wisdom. Jesus, we declare you as Lord over this church, over this message, and over our lives. We thank you for all you've done, all you're doing, and all you're going to do. In your holy name we pray, amen. I want to talk tonight, uh, basically my sermon is called The Clarity of Calling. The Clarity of Calling. And uh, this, this number one, uh, man, I, this sounds very heavy, very gloomy, but um, there was two things that happened that, that really uh, brought this and dropped this on me. The first thing was uh, when we were leaving to go back to Europe in uh, 2016, um, I was in the airport in Stockholm, Sweden, and I got a message from one of my close friends. And he sent a group message out saying that um, my friend Jose had died. And so this hit me in Stockholm, Sweden. I'm in the airport, 
and it hit me hard, and I started crying. And there was these people sitting around, and it was, it was almost embarrassing, but I was like, dude, this is horrible news. And what happened is, is um, Jose, in 2011, 2012, was heavily involved in the church. I mean, if you went to one of the conferences, he was up there playing the bass on the worship team. He was somebody that was on stage participating in what the church was doing. And in 2016, he was dealing drugs and getting high. And, and I, when I got that message, I looked up his, his numbers, his messages that we talked. And the last thing he, he put was for sure. And we talked about hanging out. We talked about, dude, let's get together. And honestly, I wanted to. But there was something in me that said, you know what? I don't know if I want to go hang out with him. I keep seeing his posts, his Snapchat, his Twitter. He's, he's putting stuff up about, about dealing. He's putting stuff up about getting high. I don't know if I want to go hang out with him. I'm a pastor. And I felt really like there was, I couldn't go hang out with him. I felt really like that. And when he died, I realized that didn't matter. I should have hung out with him. I should have gone after him. And, and so this message is a result of, of number one, that happened and, and hit me. It hit me. It woke me up. It woke, so, woke something inside up of me. And then the second thing that happened was I was in uh, Germany. I'm sitting with a guy who um, is like a modern-day Paul, man. He's like a Saul to Paul. He was someone that, that hated Christianity, uh, persecuted Christians, did some horrible things, but he got saved. And he tells me, you know, I'm discipling people, and I'm trying to send them into the church. But they come back and tell me, everything you're talking about, we're not seeing it in the church. And I was like, wow, that's true, because I'm one of those. I wasn't doing everything that I was talking about, not, at, not with everyone I could. So the clarity of calling, this message is really something the Holy Spirit convicted me about, and I have to share it. The clarity of calling, let me say it like this, discipleship is not about making more of me. It's about who's going to do more than me. Discipleship is not about making more of me. It's about who's going to do more than me. Let me say it like this. The church is called to disciple. You say, well, how do you qualify that? Where do you get that valid validity of the statement from? Well, let's go to the Bible because that's what Christians believe and follow. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says this, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So let none of us here today leave confused about your calling. Let none of us be confused about this. No one should walk out this door saying, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. It's clear. Disciple. Your calling is not to pastor. What? Brother, I've been called to pastor. No, your calling is to disciple. It's not, it's not to be a, a missionary. What? I'm called to the nations. No, no, you're called to disciple. Your calling is not to be anything else other than what Jesus asked of us. This is the clarity of calling. 
In whatever form or method it comes, that's where you can get specific. The calling of discipleship. It becomes a platform. If you're a pastor, you still disciple. If you're a missionary, you still disciple. If you're serving in the church, cleaning the toilets, you should still be discipling. Because you have no other calling other than discipleship. You say, well, I don't know if that's my calling. Well, then I don't know if you're a Christian. Ouch. Mm, it's a Wednesday night. Howard Hendricks said this. He was a, a professor for over 50 years at Dallas Theological Seminary. He taught Bible exposition and hermeneutics. He mentioned, he mentored many Christian leaders, including Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans, Joseph Stalwell, and David Jeremiah. He was a keynote speaker for Promise Keepers and authored 16 books. He ministered in over 80 countries and also served as the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys football team from 1976 to 1984. He said this, my greatest fear is not your failure, but your success. My greatest fear is not your failure, but your success. You see, if you look like a successful Christian, people will follow you. But if you're not a real Christian, people will follow you. <laughs> Howard Hendricks says, my greatest fear is not your failure, but your success. Where you can look and learn to act as a Christian, but not really be one. And he says, I'm afraid that some of you will look successful. You'll, you'll wear the shirts, you'll have the bumper stickers, you'll come to church, you'll be on time, you'll give your tithes, you'll give your offerings, you'll read your Bible even. And then when we get to Facebook, it looks like, oh man, that's a man of God. But you're not really a Christian. We must understand that we can succeed in the wrong thing. You can get focused on the wrong things. You can, you can be so focused on how to look like a Christian that you forget about discipleship. We can become the largest church, the largest organization, but the worst in theology. See, the problem is not that people will fail. The problem is that some of us will succeed and then others will follow. You, you may get promotions, you may get great jobs, you may get elevated to a place that society looks at you as an influence. But the problem is not that. The problem is not success. The problem is what are you influencing them to do? Where are you leading them? It doesn't matter. God wants you. I believe God has gifted certain people to lead society, to step out and become civil leaders, moving in, in the city, in society, and becoming real pillars, people who are influential, and even a state, even the country. I believe God has gifted some people to do that. But you have to understand, if you don't know what you're doing, you lead people in the same direction. If we don't have correct understanding of the scripture, we can be one of the people we read about in the Bible, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. If our calling is to disciple, we need to have a clarity that discipleship is always going to bring change. Mm, it's a bad word in the church. Change. It's always going to replace what once was. 
change when you're in proximity. I want to look at an example of discipleship in the Bible. It was more like mentorship. Most theologians believe that this relationship lasted about six years, where two men were working together, one was mentoring the other. And so if we go to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 15 through 18. 1 Kings 19, 15 through 18. And it says this, Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel, Mechola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So let me be specific and like this is, Elijah is told to anoint a certain man who will replace him. Oh, it's starting to make sense a little bit. You're like, wait, wait, oh, yeah, I get it. Connectingness. Elijah is told who to anoint and who will replace him. Anybody ever been told who's going to replace you? Think of it like this, you're training, you're, you got a good job, and then they hire somebody, and then they're like, hey, we need you to train them. And you're like, yeah, sure. And then you're like, wait a minute, I'm training them to do what I do. It's quiet in this Methodist church. Just kidding. Replacement. Now, we don't see this done in the New Testament. But it is sufficient to say that the Holy Spirit anoints. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit brings the anointing into the believer, which establishes the appointment. Ask Pastor Art later. <laughs> let me say it like this. Let me, let me be clear on this point, though. I'm preaching this everywhere I go. Replacement is not a family-only thing. <laughs> so, you know, it's not a family-only thing. It's a Holy Spirit-led thing. If you're here today and you think, well, you know, the Menchaca, Menchaca family, they're missionaries. You know, but it's not only us, guys. The Holy Spirit anoints and appoints. What this should do is elevate the importance of our prayer lives. So you can never hear the Holy Spirit. See, it's like this. Someone said to me that someone said this to me, and I was like, dang it, they just messed me up. <laughs> they said, the Holy, the problem is that is not that, that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak. The problem is that the Holy Spirit is always speaking. We're just not always listening. And I was like, why would you say that to me? That just makes me feel horrible. <laughs> but that's the reality of the situation. The Holy Spirit is always speaking. He's trying to teach us, speak to us, give us wisdom, give us understanding, but we're not always listening. So the prayer life elevates us to a place of understanding because we listen to the Holy Spirit. If we know that the Holy Spirit is in us and has brought the anointing into us or onto us, then the only reason we don't pass down our position is because we don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit clearly. So position, let me say it like this, position and title are not meant for your, just your life. It's always meant to give it away. Whatever you learn, I give it away. Whatever knowledge you gain, whatever wisdom you gain, you got to give it away. Discipleship is and always was central to the proclamation of who God is. 
Everyone is called to be a disciple and to disciple. Discipleship is not about making more of me. It's about who's going to do more than me. When you're discipling somebody, you better hope and pray they do more than you. You know, if some of you here want to go and pioneer a church one day, you know, I'm sure Pastor Art's looking at you thinking like, dude, you better have three times the size of this building. Now you're like, oh, I don't want to go. Because that's what, that's what pastoring is. That's what discipling is. You're saying, hey, man, get up on my shoulders. Go further than me. See bigger than me. See more than me. 1 Kings 19, 19 through 20 says this. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12, yokes, uh, 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12. Then Elijah passed by him, threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? See, the mantle was a physical representation of a spiritual event. So the physical representation of a spiritual event. Okay, so what he was saying was, I'm going to anoint this man. I'm going to anoint him, okay? And then he walks off. <laughs> but it kind of sounds like a grumpy old man. It kind of sounds like the guy who's like, this guy's going to replace me? Look at him. That's what it sounds like. It's not like, oh, here. He just walks off. Because Elijah, it says, Elisha runs to him and says, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And Elijah responds, go back again for what have I done to you? He says, I don't, what have I done to you? Go. Do whatever you want. Verse 21, it says this. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became a servant. And we say it like this, the new generation that wants to be discipled and do something for God must completely abandon what they had. The prophet to replace Elijah and function in the new office burned everything he had. He could not go back and could not be who he used to be. The young had to serve the old and to serve the vision of the old. All the old people are like, amen. Amen. That's a man of God right there. Hold on. <laughs> But remember, when the young are serving the vision of the old, it's almost time for the old to be replaced. <laughs> so you get yes, yeah, young people should follow me. Yeah, so they can replace you. <laughs> Quiet in this Baptist church. Now we saw that Elisha dropped everything and followed Elisha. We saw the following take place as we further go into this. We examined it was about six years that have passed. So six years passed. And I, I don't want to get into it further because there's a lot to talk about here. But basically, in 2 Kings 2, 1 through 6, you can read that when you have time. But 2 Kings 2, 1 through 6, it talks about how Elijah, three times, he told Elisha, stay here. So it, it's, it's reflective of an older generation telling the younger generation, just, just stay here. I'll handle it. Okay, so what happens is the younger guy says, I'm not leaving you. I'm not, I'm, no, you're not going to leave me here. And he goes after him. And three times he does this. When we look at Elijah, and he said, stay here, it wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. He said, stay here. But from what we can gather, what we read in that text, and you can go back and read it. The young prophet disobeyed what the old prophet told him. 
Oh, yeah, I'm confused, pastor. What about submission? They need to submit. They, he didn't submit, guys. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. It's in the Bible. He, didn't, he, did, he disobeyed what the old prophet told him. He said, no, I'm not staying. I'm going. <laughs> it was not in the spirit of rebellion. This was in direct response to the clarity of calling. I cannot leave what I know God told me to be part of. You cannot get away and you cannot sit down and be still when you know God told you to do something. And you get around the older ones. And they say, no, 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 no get away from me. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> and you say, no, you're going to talk to me. I'm going to be at your house. I'm here. I remember the, the guys coming to our house in Estonia. I was like, oh, my God, go home, dude. But they wanted something. They, they would not let it go. They would, not, they would not give me time to be alone. They wanted to be around. I remember them just sitting there awkwardly like, like so what's up, dude? Nothing. <laughs> Any good scriptures read lately? Not right now. <laughs> they, the young generation that wants to do something for God will not leave the side of the older. See, sometimes the older generation, though, they say and they want the wrong thing. They do. See, uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes you need a younger generation to say, hey, guys, you know what? We don't really need the overhead projector anymore. We don't, you know, the transparencies, they just, they don't work anymore. We got TVs now. The older generation is like, no, no, bro, they're, they're the best. And it's like the younger generation is like, mm -mm, there's some better things out there. You can try it maybe. The younger generation will say things that you disagree with. It's bottom line. It's bottom line. You don't like it. It's new. It's different. Elijah did not want the young prophet, Elisha, to come with him. He didn't want him walking with him, talking with the people he talked to. Maybe he just didn't like him. Maybe he talked too much. Maybe his jeans were too tight. Maybe he was too excited about his new pair of sandals. Maybe he was a different generation that didn't make sense. SMH. That is a culture shock moment. You didn't understand. You have no context. You don't know what it means. IMO. Maybe he was just unfamiliar. SMH means shaking my head. IMO means in my opinion. Sometimes the young generation needs to say no. Sometimes there needs to be disagreement. There needs to be disagreement. Let me say that again. Sometimes there needs to be disagreement. We need to say, uh, that's not really working. <laughs> the clarity of calling allows forward movement even in disagreement. The clarity of calling allows forward movement even in disagreement. Now all the Bible scholars and theologians are sitting there thinking, wait a minute. What about Amos 3.3? What about Romans 17, 17 through 19? Paul talks about those who cause division. Mark those who cause division. Well, let's be very clear here. The fundamental understanding of that scripture is that he was talking about doctrine. He was talking about Jesus and saying, anybody who starts teaching some weird gospel that they're Jesus, mark that person. 
And I agree. And I think we all agree. If, if Pastor Art gets up and starts saying, guys, I'm Jesus, then we all should find a new church. Amen? Amen. Yes. Amen. It's time to go, guys. <laughs> because we all understand the clarity of the gospel, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to understand what the gospel is, you have to have that understanding. And so when Paul talks about division, he talks about those in doctrine. He's not talking about just new ideas. He's not talking about areas where we just disagree. Sometimes we just disagree. That's okay. It's okay. But the clarity of calling allows forward movement even in disagreement. Discipleship is our calling. It's like this, the message stays the same, but the method will always change. The message, the centrality of who Jesus is, that he died for our sins, on the cross, cleansed us of our sins, that's the message. But the method of delivery might look different. Believe it or not, guys, 15 years ago, Facebook wasn't really as popular. Now we're posting scripture on Facebook. We're, we're talking about God. We're seeing, uh, you know, videos from pastors, all these different things. That's a new method. But the message stays the same. When we deviate from the message, it's a problem. Elijah had to look for someone. Let me say that again. Elijah, the older prophet, had to look for someone. And you might be 20 years old, you might be the older prophet, <laughs> because you might have grown up in church. You might know all about the gospel. You had to look for someone. Elisha, the new one, was looking for someone. He was saying, I need someone older than me. One of our drivers for the entire fellowship of Praise Chapel, I don't know if you know, there's our seven drivers. One of them, the number one, is we are looking for someone. Ezekiel 20, it says this, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. We got to be looking for someone. Discipleship is not about making more of me. It's about who's going to do more than me. This, I can go a lot further with this sermon, but we're not going to do that because it's Wednesday night. <laughs> Who are you looking for? That's, that's what I would leave you with that question for this week. Who are you looking for? If we understand the clarity of calling is about discipleship, and we know that Jesus said, go and disciple say it like this, who are you discipling? We can come to church, be on the worship team, 